Father, thank you for bringing us here. Um, help us to calm our minds and our hearts and uh, be willing to listen to your word. Lord, I pray that you speak through me um, for your glory and uh, your spirit is revealing your word to us today. Help it to, uh, us to uh, change our hearts and our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, um, well, school is coming back next week, and so actually I have to start interacting with people again. Um, I, I become a bit of a hermit during the holidays, um, and so I... I uh, I was actually struggling to, to, to sing just now um, because my voice, I don't use it that much during the holidays and I, and I just talk in a normal voice. Uh, I remember one year I was working in a, a really rough school in, in London and uh, I had to shout a lot. Um, I don't have to shout much at, uh, at Marlborough. Uh, the, mo most of the students are, uh, are really well behaved. Um, so uh, I, I don't teach Karina and I don't teach Nicole so I don't have to shout very much. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and that, that year that I was shouting a lot, the, the people around me in church were saying how loud I was, uh, I was singing. But now that I have to interact with people again, um, it gets me thinking. I, I, I wonder what you say when people uh, ask you about your Christian life. I wonder what you say to your non-Christian friends or your colleagues about your Christian life? Is it something that you even talk about? Uh, do they ever ask? Uh, I wonder whether you jazz it up and make it all glamorous. Probably not. Um, but I wonder whether you kind of make it as if it's just the same as everyone else's life. Oh, that thing. Oh, Sunday I went to church and I met, you know, my friends there and we, we sang some songs and, and then we went out for lunch. Um, so it sounds just like everybody else's life. But I'm, I'm not going to be up here. I'm not up here trying to accuse everyone of doing the wrong thing. I, I'm just as guilty. Um, and, I, I, you know, I want to think about what we can do to improve the way that we talk about, uh, talk about our Christian lives, uh, about Christianity to our non-Christian friends. Um, but one thing that I doubt that you do when you talk about your Christian life, something that I doubt that you do is talk about Christianity as a life of humility and a life of persecution and a life of suffering. And that's certainly not glamorous, but that's what the Bible says that is in store for us if we stand up for Jesus. I know that some churches will, uh, will try and push the, uh, the Christian life as something where you will gain uh, lots, but actually the Bible is very clear that if we stand up for Jesus, we will, uh, we will come under persecution and suffering. And that's not something that's easy to talk to our non-Christian friends about. But that's what this, uh, today's passage is about. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, we use the ESV version. Uh, we're going to read Acts verse, uh, chapter 21. Just a very, very short uh, passage today. Uh, verse 
27 to 36. So Acts chapter 21, verse 27 to 36. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him, that's Paul, in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they, have previ- they had previously seen him with Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all, uh, that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as they could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob uh, of the people followed, crying out, away with him. That's quite a dramatic scene. So, on a different, different topic, uh, stick up your hand if you've been watching the Olympics. Quite a few of you. Uh, America, the Americans among us, will be quite proud. They're, they're top of the table. A few less gold medals. Michael Phelps isn't quite, quite uh, there this year. And amazingly, Britain is coming second. I don't know how that has, that's happened. Well, uh, second in the number of golds. The China have more medals than us. Uh, I think Mal- Malaysia has five medals. No golds yet. Singaporean, there was that, uh, the swimmer. So, so that's, uh, that was really, really pleasing to see. And did you see Japan in the 4x100? They came second. I, th- I thought that was amazing. I didn't realize that they, they had sprinters. Um, and, and that surprised me. I mean, Usain Bolt, obviously, uh, took, took the show there. Um, but it's... The great thing about the Olympics is that it's the perfect time to be patriotic, to shout for your country, support your country, and you can be fully patriotic without any hint of xenophobia or nationalism or racism. There's no hint of racism at all. So if you're American, you can shout and, you know, and even jeer at the opposition when the American basketball beats the uh, team beats the, the Russian team. Or um, if you're British and you, you beat the, the Iranian team at hockey or something like that. And there's no hint that you might be superior or that you might be racist or, or anything like that. And it's a great time for getting behind your country and loving your country. The point of this is Paul 
we know, loved his country. There was nobody who loved his people more than Paul. We see that in Romans. Um, We've seen already in Acts that wherever Paul went to preach, to evangelize, the first place he went to was the local Jewish synagogue. And there he would preach and argue and beg with them to repent and follow Jesus. Firstly, the Jews, showing them clearly that the Old Testament was fulfilled in Jesus. We see it a lot in Romans where Paul talks mostly to the Jews and he knocks down any arguments that the Jews uh, have. Giving uh, One by one, he knocks down those arguments and gives them a reason to live a Christian life, a reason to, to go back, uh, to, to deny the, the, the traditions uh, that, uh, that would be... Uh, that they thought were necessary to be, become a Christian. So I'm going to jump around a little bit. If you want to follow me, then, then do. Um, we're gonna, I'm just going to jump to Romans chapter 1. Uh, but most of these passages should be quite familiar with peop- uh, to people. So Romans chapter 1, uh, verse, just verse 16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. In other translations, it's first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. I think that's the NIV. That's the one I I, I learned in my head. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And that's a reference to Habakkuk 2. So he says, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. The Jew first. He puts the priority on giving the gospel to the Jews first. Even though he's in uh, the far reaches of, of Europe and Asia and the Middle East. And we also see his love and anguish over the Jews. So if you flick over to Romans 9. Romans chapter 9. Right at the start, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites and belong to the adoption the glory, the covenant, uh, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So Paul is saying, I wish I could be eternally damned if all of the Israelites could come to be saved. He wants that so much. And you can see his love for his people and his anguish for his people. The patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they were all Jews. They were all Israelites. And he's saying, these people, these, my people, they've been given all these promises. They've, they were the people who accepted God. God came to them 
and now they're turning their back on God. And in some ways, he, he wishes they could come to God. So it's ironic and incredibly sad when we see this passage, we see Paul purifying himself in the temple. It's the thing that they actually falsely accuse him of. He has come to the temple to purify himself alone so that he can be seen as, uh, as good in the eyes of the Jews. He knows that the purification in the temple is just a tradition, that all you need for salvation is faith. But he comes to the temple to make sure that in the eyes of the Jews, he is right with God. And so that nothing can get in the way of them listening to God. So it's really sad to see that this is the time when they grab him and they persecute him. And I wonder whether this sounds familiar. I'm just going to summarize this passage and and just the, the lead up to this passage. So this man who knows he's going to die goes up to Jerusalem As he's dragged to his certain death, he does so humbly, meekly, and silently. He's innocent and yet falsely accused. His accusers cry out, but none of them agree what he has done wrong. Does that sound familiar? Because it should. So you see, um, Paul is following in the footsteps of Jesus. I know uh, a lot of you weren't here, though, many months ago when we started Acts. When I started Acts, um, I said that Luke wrote this very much as a second part to his gospel. And it's very much, and I like to, to dub Acts as the continuing works of Jesus Christ. Because even though Jesus doesn't appear in Acts, he is very much there. And we can see that again here. Paul is following in the footsteps of Jesus Just as we saw earlier in Acts, Stephen, the very first Christian martyr, was dragged to the temple and dragged in front of the Sanhedrin. And there he preached to the Sanhedrin, drawing on the history and telling them what was right about, what should be right about the the temple. And he he, he told the Sanhedrin that time after time, the Jews had persecuted the one who... who God had sent. And then what happened to Stephen? Well, he was killed. Interestingly, Paul was very much part of that. But here, Paul is following the very same model. He's following the footsteps of Jesus and following the footsteps of Paul, uh, of Stephen. And sadly, the next, in the next chapter, what we'll see is Paul doing the same thing. He's going to preach to the Jews, but the Jews are going to, very much like the temple doors, are shut, slammed shut to Paul in verse 30. The Jews are going to uh, close their ears and their minds to, to to Paul's words. And here's my first application. I wonder whether... If we were faced with the same rejection and persecution as Paul, 
whether we would still love our people. A few years ago, I, um, I, uh, I faced some you know, uh, so a disciplinary from my, my school uh, over Christian stuff. Um, and I realized at the time, uh, because of just the, how the arguments were blown out of proportion and how unreasonable they were, that it was a spiritual attack. And that's not something I jumped to. Um, and I still feel a little bit of bitterness there. And I, I, I certainly have burned some bridges from that, that school. Uh, but having served at that school for 10 years, I, you know, I felt a little bit entitled to, to better treatment. But uh, um, I don't think I can show the same love that Paul shows for his people. He still shows love. Now, Romans was written after this, this incident. Romans... Um, Paul shows his love for the, for the Jews time and time again. Can we show the same love? So what do we take away from this passage? Well, firstly, we, show, we model Jesus, and we need to model, firstly, his humility. So I'm going to, if you can turn, if you want to turn to Romans 5, Romans chapter 5, Right from the start, <clears throat> we saw echoes of this in the, uh, in the songs today, and hopefully you'll recognize a lot of it. <clears throat> Therefore, since we are justified by faith, that means faith, not works, uh, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his sorry, into this grace in which we stand. That's salvation. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has, poured, has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Notice how Paul is always going on about our faith. None of us can earn our salvation. None of us deserve it. None of us are worthy of it. Nothing we can do will get us saved and yet it's freely given. That is grace, and that comes about by our faith. None of us can boast about what we've done. Instead, what our faith does is it, shows us, it brings us to humility. The fact that none of us can boast, that nothing that we do can get us our salvation, should bring us to our knees in humility. And through that, we can rejoice in our sufferings. And that seems such a strange thing. But through humility, through our faith, we get humility. And in humility, we can rejoice in our sufferings. It's not easy to talk to our, our non-Christian friends about suffering, is it? But what we can do is we can talk about hope. And that's the second thing in this, this passage here. The hope which God gives us. The hope is not some random, oh, I hope that, 
my country wins the most amount of golds or that my team wins the football uh, match. This is a sure hope. The knowledge that we have eternal life, the way that the Bible talks about hope is a certain knowledge. I could give another whole sermon on, on this hope, but, uh, but that's what we have as Christians. We have faith, which leads to humility, and hope, which leads to peace. Well, faith and hope. Those of you who are familiar with their, their Bible will know that there's one thing missing, and it's also in this passage. I'm just going to read out 1 Corinthians 13. It's very short. You don't need to turn to it. Some of you will know it off by heart. So now faith, hope, and love abide. But the greatest of these is love. And that's what Paul is all about. He is about loving his people. In this is love. This is 1 John 4, again, very short. 1 John 4. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but he has loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's the way for us to be saved, for him to be the substitutionary sacrifice. And sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. We love because he first loved us. So we learn to love by looking at the example of Jesus. We can take the example of Paul and Stephen, but we learn to love because Jesus first loved us, that God first loved us, that he was willing to die for us. Understanding this will help us to love others. And so I'm going to end on these three things. Those are my three main points of this passage. This is what we should be praying for, and this is what we should be sharing, if we can, with our non-Christian friends. Faith, that's the key to our, to our salvation. Faith leads us to humility, because we can't boast. We don't get salvation through anything we've done. We get it through faith, and that leads us to humility. Hope we know we're going to heaven, and so that gives us peace. Hope which leads us to peace. And love, well, what does that do? If we love our friends and we know that they're not going to spend eternity with us, well, surely that will drive us to share the gospel with them. Plead with them. I think... Um, it was someone who said to Cramner, I can't remember, Thomas Cramner, uh, he said, if I believed what you believe, I would be on my knees begging me to become a Christian. And I know that if we did that to our non-Christian friends, they'd probably never speak to us again. But love leads us to serve. Serve the church, support the evangelists who are going out, support one another by encouragement. If you pray with another person, do ask them beforehand, have you had an opportunity to talk to a non-Christian friend in this last week or this last month? Have you had a chance to share the gospel? You know, have you had a chance to, to share about what it means to be a Christian? And so these three things, faith which leads to humility, 
hope which leads to peace, and love that leads us to serve. I'm hoping that those are three things that you can share with your non-Christian friends, and those are three things that you can pray about and pray for. And let me pray, just to close. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for the example of Paul. We thank you that you gave him great faith, clear hope, and such a powerful love for his people that even though you sent him to the Gentiles, and by that we have heard the gospel, um, that he still has the ex- this example of love for his people. And Lord, help us to love one another. Help us to love the lost. Lord, we pray for faith that we can't boast, that people see that in us, that people see you and your glory in us. We pray that we can have hope, that we can have peace, even though tough times might come, suffering might come, persecution might come, that we have peace. And that we have love so that we can step out and we can talk about you. In Jesus' name, amen.